I'm Carrie Fountain, and this is Just to Say. Poetry springs forth from authentic human voice. Poetry is about anarchy. It's about mystery. It's about dreams. It's about, you know, the unknown. Writing is a way of saying that you and the world have a chance. This is Matthew Dickman, and I'm reading a poem called Wonderland. Wonderland. Caleb is doing it himself. I have to do this myself, he said. So I steal some beer from my mom, and he brings a sewing needle, a towel, some ink. He's sitting on his skateboard, dipping the needle into the ink and then into his own skin over and over like an old lady working on a country scene with thread. This went on for a long time. Then the thing began to take shape. The lines became visible. And soon it was all coming together. The head first, and then the body of the swastika. And finally it was whole and in the world. Caleb's face flush and sweaty and excited. When he asked how it looked, I said it looked good. I couldn't stop looking at it. But when I looked up at him, it was like his face wasn't there. Thank you. That was really a beautiful reading of that poem. I, only hearing you read it now, (laughs) am sort of getting the full-on, like, birth... metaphor uh, like there I didn't Uh, kind of see uh, that at first as I was reading uh, it because I was so sort of I mean one of the things that's so wonderful about this poem is that your reader is so much in the in the view of the speaker that you're sort of waiting and you're sort of hoping and I my thing was like okay the head first and then the body because I've seen Caleb develop over the course of this book, this character in this poem. This mm-hmm. is a, a, a reoccurring poem, Wonderland, in the book, a reoccurring title poem. And when I mm-hmm. get to, you know, the head first and then the body, I'm thinking, like, honestly, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, okay, it's just going to be like some naked lady. It's like a body. Okay, it's not uh-huh. going to be what I think it's going to be. And then, of course, you know, right. the body of the swastika is the next line, uh, the next stanza. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> but I, of course, you know, he, in, in, there's also this reading where he is like just given birth to this tattoo. Mm-hmm. So tell me um, how I, 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 I love this poem and I appreciate its place in like this larger collection. I think that mm-hmm. to kind of talk about the poem, we kind of need to know a little bit about the context of like the whole collection. How did it come together? Mm-hmm. Why is it? How, how did, how did this poem mm-hmm. book of poems come together? Well, this book of poems, Wonderland, uh, I mean, it, it came together like I think uh, many people's books of poems come together initially, which is just, you know, living life, writing poems, <clears throat> thinking I don't have another book. And then a friend asks me to print up all my poems and I have like, you know, 120 pages of poetry, <laughs> you know, suddenly. Uh, and I started looking at all these pages and kind of moving them around, taking poems out, putting them in. And they were a bunch of poems that actually aren't in Wonderland. Uh, But within all of those, there were like two poems. There was uh, Teenage Riot, which is in the book. And then there was a longer poem that's in the book called St. Francis in the 
pine tree. And both of them were, were about childhood and about um, childhood violence in, in my neighborhood where I grew up. And I just kept returning to these two poems and feeling really attached to them. It might have been because at that time I had just turned 40. Uh, but thinking about growing up, where I grew up, and the time I grew up, and thinking about this, these particular, particular events uh, around childhood and boyhood. And a, a lot of them did have to do with, you know, with violence. Uh, they did have to do with uh, a kind of negative masculinity that was taught in the, in the neighborhood. And it, it was something that I felt like I needed to write about. And so I just started, you know, dreaming into my history there and uh, thinking about different events and then writing towards them. So those two poems that you um, saw as like the spark that made the book are the other poems poems that you had already written or did you then go okay I'm going to sort of <clears throat> explore this and flesh it out or yeah it's the latter I just thought I, I need to explore this just for myself mm -hmm. and uh, and then I just wrote a lot over like a month and a half two month period of just first drafts I didn't even look at them you know my my practice in poetry isn't necessarily like writing a single poem and then looking at the next day and you know revising it as a kind of singular act but I just started writing first draft after first draft of this part of my life and this this aspect of of that part of my life you know because of course uh, there's a lot of my childhood that I you know I didn't include or didn't write poems about that uh, don't necessarily deal with, though they reverberate from, uh, a, you know, a, a kind of poor neighborhood that is entrenched in uh, kind of false promises and lies about masculinity or race or things like that. My poor mother, you know, is like, why didn't you write about anything happy? Uh, and of course, there were a lot of happy things in my childhood, but it was these kind of central issues that I wanted to to deal with. And I, I think also because at the time I knew I was becoming, you know, I was a, a father to my stepchild and, and I was becoming going, I knew that I was going to become a father to a new, to a new baby. And so I was thinking about what, you know, how, how do I become a father when growing up, I didn't have any good examples of fatherhood was another thing. So I think maybe writing these poems was a part of me exploring those boys from my childhood in some way. Yeah, in a fatherly, from a fatherly view almost, right? Or like from the view of someone who is not just, you know, it's not just a baby, you're, it's a son. You have a, a, you are raising a boy as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, two boys. Yeah, exactly. And maybe fatherly is a good term. I think empathetic is is an is another one one of the things about the 
title poems, I think there's five Mm -hmm. poems called Wonderland, and they do, um, from the first to the last, kind of follow in in a short arc um, the life of this boy, Caleb, uh, from like early childhood to becoming, you know, like a 12 or 13-year-old who then becomes a neo-Nazi. And uh, it was a way to explore through poems something that happened you know, to a few of my friends in my neighborhood growing up and happened to a lot of people who I, you know, kind of knew just peripherally. And I wanted to write about witnessing that in a way that wasn't didactic or like easily liberal. I wanted to deal with this figure of Caleb on a really human level and to kind of to sh- to express or show you know how this how this how one way that this type of journey for someone can happen these poems are timely uh, i think that yeah. only there seems like recently yeah. there's been more and more of a sort of question of like oh well all you know these these neo nazis they're all young white men and these people who you know mm-hmm. shoot up schools they all happen to be you know young white men what what is it about uh, these these experiences yeah. that you know turn out um, mm-hmm. these these violent um, ha- hateful uh, mm-hmm. people political stances uh, I, you know and and it's really effective the way that we the way that you create the the character of Caleb it's um, hard to talk about this poem alone because we see. Caleb and other poems, you know, being, um, you know, mm-hmm. sort of ex- witnessing his uh, mother being abused by his father and then sort of very tenderly and mm-hmm. uh, s- sort of strangely um, comforting his mother. And then later we sort of see him devolve. I mean, l- literally in one of the poems, he, mm-hmm. he does this cruelty against an animal where he spits at a dog who's barking as yeah. you're walking by. And then mm-hmm. over the course of that poem, he doesn't s- not not only does he not stop spitting at the dog, but he then gets down on the on the ground like a dog himself. And the, they're like going at it. You know, you, mm-hmm. you sort of see him in that poem yeah. kind of d- devolve to this base creature of pure anger and, and, sp- and spite. Um, mm-hmm. so here mm-hmm. when, when Caleb appears, it's like, this is, it is like he, this is the, this is the child that he has birthed into the world. This swastika on his arm is right. like, mm-hmm. we are now it, it, it begins. Right. And it's terrifying. I mean, this yeah, poem is it begins, really, yeah, it begins for him and it is, um, it is, it is like a birthing of a, of a new life. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, no matter what gang you, you know, if you were to become part of a gang, what gang you become a part of, part of that, becoming a part of that gang is receiving a new family, being born into a new family. And, uh, and this is, you know, what is happening for for Caleb in this moment is he's birthing this symbol uh, that announces that he is going to be part of this new family and in that new family uh, be um, taken care of 
and be uh, celebrated and be a part of something. And I think then when you humanize a character like that, it's only more terrifying to the reader, you know? It's yeah. only more terrifying to like sort of have to see that person as... Um, I, it's interesting, earlier you said uh, that this is something that you saw happen to a number of your friends mm -hmm. growing up in this neighborhood. And I just thought it was interesting to think about, you know, like neo-Nazism and hate, hate groups yeah. being something that kind of happens to some someone you know mm -hmm. and so i think when you when you really kind of it's um it I, I really had a physical kind of reaction to this poem that was and i i think that it does touch something on it it's it's something about the that kind of toxic violent masculinity that mm -hmm. i think i grew up around in mm -hmm. in some ways myself you know growing up mm -hmm. in a very small town mm -hmm. a kind of different breed of mm -hmm. that, you know, rural area, but um, it 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 was very like triggering to me. Of like, oh God, yes, mm -hmm. I, I just I I I think you know a lot of us know Caleb's or people who could have become Caleb's or you know, right? Yeah, uh, right. And and in that way, I mean, you're right. Like it's it's not didactic and it's not. Um, it's not apologist apologistic is that a word like you're not being an apologist for, yeah. yeah apologist yeah, no. for him or this sort of like oh you know like childhood abuse will you know that's that's what what that's why you know <laughs> right right, <laughs> right that's whatever, not what's happening like, at all a culmination of really yeah. bad experiences and you know boom yeah. uh so yeah and it's also you know part of the why is um you know is there also even if you're influenced by this kind, this type of um, like violence, uh, kind of lost masculinity, and uh, this kind of acute uh, and violent racism, uh, if you are if you become a part of it, then there's also you know an agreement from you mm. and. One of the great, you know, growing up where I grew up, uh, you know, I, I mean, of course, as a white writer, I still like writing about race still comes from a, uh, of course, comes from a place of privilege that, you know, I sort of choose to. Uh, but when thinking about my neighborhood and thinking about those people there, they're, you know, I th was thinking about, um, just ended up having to think about race and whiteness, you know, at a, at a young age. And, and one of the great lies in my neighborhood, and I think in a lot of neighborhoods like it in a lot of communities, is this great lie of whiteness, which is to say, when I think about it, it's to say that it's sort of, it's this false promise that no matter what's happening, no matter how shitty your life is no matter that your mom shoots heroin and you know sleeps with a bunch of people in the neighborhood your dad isn't a dad that he's violent and a drunk or that you get terrible grades that you don't feel like anyone loves you that no matter what you're you're still white mm. you're still this you know that you're still this great thing 
that you are able to like have pride about and, you know, feel good about, and you're still better, quote unquote, you know, than these other groups of, of people. And it's a lie that um, continually destroys uh, poor and low middle class uh, white communities. It's so disturbing, isn't it? It's just like, it's, yeah. and you can see, I mean, you can see the way that that could translate into like um, a, a violence that feels like an epidemic, like it's contagious, yeah. you know what I mean? That you yeah. kind of either it catch like it or you don't, you know? Like you mm-hmm. uh, have to reckon with it one way or the other, you know? Like mm-hmm. you either resist it or you, or you consume it. Yeah. And sometimes you consume it and it consumes you and it's not until much later that you, uh, through something in your life or through something deep inside you, you have a sea change and Mm you, you know, change your life. So do you feel like, um, that is something that poetry did for you, that writing did for you, that you had this sort of out, out, not outlet, but like Mm -hmm. an out. I mean, do you feel like you could have been, in in other under other circumstances, do you feel like you could have taken this path? There's an interesting. That I could have been Caleb. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, there's this great thing that um, Dr. Maya Angelou would say, which she would say uh, something to the effect of, "I am a human being, therefore nothing human is alien to me." And then she'd often go on to say, you know, which means if, if someone does something horrible, someone comes to a home and murders the family, let's say, which is a pretty shocking example. But, or let's just use the example you asked. Like, you know, um, you see someone who you know, becomes a, a, neo, a neo-Nazi. And often what we do is we say things like, well, that person's a monster, so right away we use language that separates them from um, being human. And then we say, uh, I would never, I could never do that. And what Dr. Angelou talks about is, she says, you know, actually that's not the right sentence. The right sentence is, uh, I endeavor never to do that. You know, I see this other human being's choices and what they're doing, and I endeavor not to um, act in the same way, right? I think it's too easy for us to look at these examples or an example like Caleb, the figure of Caleb in the Wonderland poems to say like, well, that's shocking and crazy. And, um, you know, I would never, you know, I could never imagine doing, being like that. I think that I lucked out, uh, growing up where I grew, um, I lucked out in that I had uh, a mother who, you know, I, I lived in a house that uh, around the dinner table, you know, did not um, speak poorly of other, of other races mm-hmm. or other religions. Um, I mean, my family, they weren't, you know, my mom wasn't, of course, you know, like a, an activist, but she was an Episcopalian, you know, who really <laughs> felt like everyone deserved a, a chance. Um, and so I got that 
education, both actively and kind of passively from, from my mom. And then, uh, and then I also had a twin brother who, uh, you know, um, we could be examples for each other in mm. some way. And we had each other, right? So I wasn't alone mm -hmm. in the neighborhood. And, and then on top of that, yeah, I, I had, I had poetry, uh, very privately, of course, like I was not walking around my neighborhood at 13, you know, talking about how much I like poems, mm. <laughs> you know, like begging to be punched in the face. But I did have this secret, this secret part of me that was a part where I could express anything. And I could wonder about anything. And that allowed me, and also reading poetry and reading, you know, novels and short stories at an early age allowed me to wonder about other places and other people. So I wasn't stuck in like the suffocating, stuck elevator of a racialized poor neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I lived there, but I had these I had these other doors I could walk through mm -hmm. and walk into like the great field of poetry if I wanted to. Yeah. I mean, that just, doesn't it just make you know how important things like public libraries are, you know, like li oh my could, God. could literally yeah. be saving lives in the sense that you could be saving um, souls from <laughs> these violent paths and thus saving the lives of innocent victims <laughs> you know like yeah it's, it's, yeah it's public like library first aid. it's like triage mm -hmm. it's like we need it, it's, it we, it's so necessary you know yeah i think that you know i think about that like you know not to argue about semantics i i actually don't think that poetry or literature like how well i don't less and less i feel like it it saves lives. Like I don't think it's that. It does. It's not that dramatic, but it does. It does help to become. It becomes like sometimes like a guide, or just knowing that there's other ways to live. Mm -hmm. You know, helps you live a different life. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it saves lives, but it allows you to live a different one. And mm -hmm. and even if that one is like just and your your inner life changes. Mm -hmm. uh, even if you're still saddled with poverty or saddled with all these things and uh, your life, your physical life feels stuck, um, you know, you have a big inner life. Uh, I mean, I remember like the YMCA in our neighborhood and like when you walked in, in the front office, like they had like, like two shelves of books you know, that they would keep there. Mm -hmm. And even that is something that could, that could, that could change someone's path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember very clearly, I was just thinking about it because I saw an ad for it. Uh, I think they're turning it into a, a small series on HBO maybe, but I remember in mm -hmm. high school, you know, I was just like a very uninterested uh, student. You know, I was like, I, I mean, I was mm. uninterested. I was sort of just like bored. I was really bored in school. <laughs> uh -huh. And I was like a big, you know, I was like very social and very talkative. And so I was like a pain in everyone's ass and everything. But I remember <laughs> having missed, I think I skipped class and I missed some big test in my English mm. class. Maybe it wasn't mm -hmm. even English, maybe it was history or something. And mm. the teacher was just like, well, you're going to like get a bad grade. And I like begged for some uh, extra credit or something to do. And mm. he said, okay, we'll read this book and, and then write about it and bring it in. 
and it was Fahrenheit mm. 451, that book. Mm-hmm. And I had never read anything like that, even like in, mm. in high school. I, I, was, I had just, it blew me away. Like, I really do mm-hmm. think that that was something that, I mean, yeah, right. Saving a life that's, uh, it's it's dramatic, but it definitely did change my inner life pretty significantly. Yeah. You know, looking back, especially like thinking, oh, there's the whole other way you can live in the world that is outside yeah. of las cruces new mexico and like mm-hmm. the you know small town <laughs> you know gossip right. and bullshit yeah you know? right yeah and i mean that's like the, it's yeah. like i think there was something about that particular book because it's just so heavy in metaphor you know mm-hmm. like the whole narrative is just this sort of meta you know like most like most um uh, what is that uh, dystopian kind of worlds like those are those are metaphors yeah. for our society or you know cautionary right. metaphors so yeah <laughs> right and i think that there is no other er, act of reading that is quite like reading that book partly because you're holding on to the object and reading the ob- <laughs> the very object that is being destroyed in the story mm-hmm. you know that is being that's that's made illegal in the story and that's i think that's quite special yeah yeah that's really yeah it's like enacting its own uh, like mm-hmm. in real time yeah and also just like the like I think the first like introduction to the idea that like words and ideas were power and yeah you know they yeah. had something about them that was powerful and that was dangerous to people mm-hmm. who wanted to control uh, that was uh, well and I think that those I think that certain books also can help us understand where we are and where we live I remember uh, quite clearly reading, um, uh, reading Lord of the Flies and thinking, fuck, this is, these are the boys of my neighborhood, you know, breaking off into different tribes, left alone by parents, uh, some with the opera, this kind of freedom, um, turning really, really cruel and others kind of rising to the occasion of of kindness, and then some being murdered, you know, beaten because they were seen as weak. I just, I mean, that book uh, really helped me, kind of, for the first time, maybe, kind of, critically, be able to look at my neighborhood mm-hmm. that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. I want you to talk a little bit about the line in Wonderland the speaker sees what he sees. There's the swastika. Mm-hmm. Finally, it was whole and in the world. Caleb's face flush and sweaty and excited. When he asked how it looked, I said it looked good. Mm-hmm. I couldn't stop looking at it. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about those lines. Those seem really, those are, those are powerful lines to me, and I want you to talk mm-hmm. about them. Well, sure. Um, try to, try to be articulate about about the lines. So, so of course, the first part of that, you know, when you read the, the head first and then the body of the swastika and finally it was whole in the world, I think kind of, is kind of speaks plainly that we now see what Caleb had been tattooing uh, on his arm. And, uh, and then returning, so I mean, just having in 
you know, the word swastika in a poem is pretty, I think, shocking, um, which is unintended by me. I don't mean for it to be shocking. It is just the thing that it is. <clears throat> but uh, so then when I turned back to Caleb's face being flushed and sweaty and excited, I wanted to return, I wanted to remind, you know, the reader and remind myself again that this is a child, you know, who's doing this physical thing with this needle and giving him a homemade, himself a homemade sort of stick and poke tattoo. So I wanted to be I wanted to be reminded again of his humanity because I think that word swastika can automatically kind of wipe the humanity away uh, for good reason. And then the lines when he asked how it looked, I said it looked good. I couldn't stop looking at it. Uh, I, I am always, I would say that, that, you know, I mean, it could be seen as, you know, just my own, uh, like kind of vulnerably sharing my own, you know, the way I, uh, that my that I am implicated in um, in racism, social, cultural, myself. Uh, so not like a moment, not of like not not to like it's not like an apology or like, uh, but it's I I wanted to. You know, part of this poem is writing about is writing about childhood. Part of it is writing about whiteness, and I'm still figuring out a way to write about both those things uh, with sincerity and honesty, and um, without being an apologist. There's also, you know, children are all implicated within other children uh, when you have groups of friends like this. So, uh, you know, the two figures in this poem, uh, once one, you know, like showed that he had just, you know, tattooed the swastika, the other friend wasn't going, you know, there's no way that that friend would say like, you know, I, I can't instill in that child part of me or that child part of this, you know, narrator. I can't instill like something I would say now. You know, which is like, fuck you. You know, what the fuck? Um, but the honest thing would be that the child's response would be like, it look, you know, it looks, it looks good. Even if that child isn't himself be going to also become like Caleb eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, and part of it is that children don't fully understand uh, uh, the you know, the, ramific the ramifications of that moment, you know, as it, as it passes. Mm -hmm. I mean, something that kids are really good at in general, and, and especially children who grow up in neighborhoods where there's actual violence, and then when there's not actual violence, there's the sense of static violence, which is to say always an opportunity for violence. Like in my neighborhood... Even if there wasn't a fight or anything broke out uh, for a couple weeks, uh, it wasn't like downtime because there's always just this humming opportunity for it. Uh, so those kids are really good at compartmentalizing. You know, I have so many memories of really some nasty stuff happening. And then moments later, being at the little quick mark on the corner, buying JoJo's and like, uh, 
you know, Dr. Pepper, right? Because that's how kids end up kind of surviving in those situations. Uh, so that poem also, for me, has a bit of compartmentalization in it. And also that things, because one, oh, well, how do I want to say this? That, uh, that a couple things or several things can happen at the same time. So, at the, so in the poem, at the same time that the swastika is revealed and that the friend, the, narr the child narrator, you know, says it looks good, uh, there's also a moment right after that, right? And the moment right afterwards is the child narrator looking up and saying, when I looked up at him, it was like his face wasn't there. So even though there's like the support of the friend in that moment, it's also the awareness of that friend that sees the Caleb is disappearing. Like with the, with the tattoo comes the really the beginning of Caleb's selfhood and humanity starting to be washed away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As a reader, I don't know if this is, I mean, my also my in instinct in reading that line is also just like, if a Nazi asks you how their swastika looks and they've got like a stick that you know, like something very sharp in their hand, like it looks <laughs> good. You know, there's something uh -huh. in there like that's in there's fear in there as well too. Like I'm just gonna say, yeah, fine, whatever. Like just don't, you know, turn your violence on me. Right. Well, and, and yeah, I totally hear you. In this moment, in this particular poem, you know, Caleb isn't quite a neo-Nazi yet. He's, uh, you know, his tattoo is his sort of maybe the like like letting go of the final part of him that mm -hmm. wouldn't be that. Mm -hmm. So he can be ready to really enter fully in the next Wonderland poem and actually become a neo-Nazi. Right. You know, the poem that I read and we're talking about is really essentially still a poem about two boys around the ages of, you know, you know, could be around the ages between 11 years old and 13 uh, who are friends. And there's this transformation happening for mm -hmm. both of them. Mm -hmm. The figure of Caleb comes from a real person, you know, in Wonderland, uh, there's a handful of poems about different boys, mm -hmm. uh, but um, but they all I've given them all I've I've invented names for all of them, uh, and I've I've done that one because it's a poem, they're they're all poems even though they're written out of um, real experiences that I had, uh, they're still it's still it's just not memoir to mm -hmm. me, mm -hmm. and also because. Uh, I really don't know where some of these guys are anymore. Mm -hmm. And I really don't know what their lives are like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's very possible that, you know, some of them continued on and just continued to be neo-Nazis. It's very possible that some of them had life changes and um, are different people now with mm -hmm. families and different worldviews. Uh, because I can't know any of that, um, you know, I wasn't going to... Um, list their actual names. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, did you bring a poem to share? 
Do you have a problem? I you... did. Oh, great. I'm so, I, I'm so curious oh to God. know what this you was... brought, and I uh, was hoping that you could tell us and then read it. Yeah, this was so much fun to do. I mean, like, what a cool thing to be asked. Um, I went through so many different ideas, you know. There, um, there was a poem by Bob Kaufman that I was really in love with. Uh, there, you know, I was thinking about, um, because you and I have known each other for so long, it got me thinking about when I first got into poems and, uh, you know, Sandra Cisneros book of poems, loose woman was so important to me mm -hmm. as a kid. I love that. Uh, I love that book as well. So great. You know, I mean, there's mm -hmm. just so many different options, but then when I found out which poem that you chose to read from my book and, and thinking about violence that that occurs throughout the book of Wonderland, I thought that I would read a poem that uh, just when I first read it a million years ago really, really moved me. But then also as someone who thinks about how to write about violence, how this poem has really been an instruction to me. Mm. And it's a poem by the poet I, for those of you who are listening and, and want to know how you spell that name, it's just A-I. And it's her poem, uh, The Kid. Oh. Mm -hmm. And um, from her collection, The Killing Floor. The Kid. My sister rubs the doll's face in mud, then climbs through the truck window. She ignores me as I walk around it, hitting the flat tires with an iron rod. The old man yells for me to help hitch the team, but I keep walking around the truck, hitting harder, until my mother calls. I pick up a rock and throw it at the kitchen window, but it falls short. The old man's voice bounces off the air like a ball I can't lift my leg over. I stand beside him, waiting, but he doesn't look up, and I squeeze the rod, raise it. His skull splits open. Mother runs toward us. I stand still, get her across the spine as she bends over him. I drop the rod and take the rifle from the house. Roses are red, violets are blue, one bullet for the black horse, two for the brown. They're down quick. I spit. My tongue's bloody. I've bitten it. I laugh. Remember the one out back. I catch her climbing from the truck. Shoot. The doll lands on the ground with her. I pick it up. Rock it in my arms. Yeah, I'm Jack. Hogar's son. I'm nimble. I'm quick. In the house, I put on the old man's best suit and his patent leather shoes. I pack my mother's satin nightgown and my sister's doll in the suitcase. Then I go outside and cross the fields to the highway. I'm 14. I'm a wind from nowhere. I can break your heart. Damn. Right? Fuck. <laughs> I've, never, I've never heard that poem before. Is that is that uh, a poem that's like 
uh, based on a historical like person, or is that just is that's just from her imagination? You know, her. Um, well, I think it's you know you it's just based on a lot of little boys, mm. you know. But mm-hmm. um, but it's from her. You know, Killing Floor, cruelty and Killing Floor. One of the amazing things that you know that I wrote. Uh, in her life was was um, or had the ability to write the sort of uh, radical somehow radical empathy or something to be able to write about um, masculine violence through the voice of men and her early books are just full full mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. um, and often and often white men um but this poem, I think, is so, you know, partly so important to me. You know, first, it was just an early poem that I read that's, you know, surprised me. Mm-hmm. But it's such a great poem mm-hmm. about uh, childhood and about violence. There's such a straightforwardness to the violence, right? It's mm-hmm. not, um, there's not a lot of, you know, it's not flowery. It's not, and she's not hiding from it. Uh, it's not metaphorical violence. You know, the couple times that there's, you know, like a simile or mm-hmm. something, like in the sec, in the, in the, um, at the end of the first stanza, when she writes, the old man's voice bounces off the air like a ball I can't lift my leg over. Yeah. It's one of the few similes in the poem. And it's so great because it tells us how small this kid is. Yeah. Um, and then just, you know, interspersed moments like roses are red, violets yeah. are blue. You know, interspersed in this, you know, moment of, you know, uh, acute violence. Are and random still, seemingly, right? Like just sort of, it doesn't, yeah. you know, I think that sometimes when we, when violence occurs, it's like as a culture, we become like really um, obsessed with finding out why, what was the why? motive. What was... Right. And so often like right. ra- ra- violence is just like random and, you know, mental illness does not uh, or, you know, whatever, like d- d- does not um, yield like uh, uh, clear motives for these things. I think it's like part of our um, humanity that we like long to at least find out why you know if we cannot yeah mm, yeah we want to know why and i think we want to know that the reason is something that we Mm. don't have to worry about ourselves Mm -hmm. i think you know if the reason is mental illness if the reason is a psychological breakdown you know if those are the reasons then that's then that's really cozy for us Mm -hmm. because we feel very sane Mm -hmm. But sometimes the you know th- an act of violence like in the poem the kid isn't is you know an act of violence that is um, is the gesture of a life that the life that the kid lived and endured was the very thing that led to the violence mm-hmm. and it wasn't you know someone going nuts or you know mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah. 
Oh, it was it's so lovely to talk to you. Uh, we have to give up the booth, so we've got to get okay, off the Okay, give phone. up the booth. I'm so glad to have um, recorded a, a highly uplifting episode for, <laughs> for, your, I, my, for your listeners. My, my favorite um, was uh, she about your mom. She wasn't an ac- activist, but she was an Episcopalian. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's the Great. best. That was the best line. Um, cool. Well, thanks for spreading the word, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Okay, bye. Bye. Okay, bye. You can find Matthew Dickman's poem, Wonderland, in his book, Wonderland, out now from W.W. Norton Press. This is Just to Say is produced at KUT Radio in Austin, Texas. I'm Carrie Fountain. Thanks for listening.